Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a podcast where Superman still stands for truth, justice, and the American way. This is episode 63. My name is Michael Bradley, and joining me once more is the man who puts the sum in awesome, Mr. Charlie Niemeyer. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, I am that. I, uh, I was going to say the man who puts the ass in class, but that, <laughs> that seemed a lot less flattering. So. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, yes. So I, I'd rather be the guy that puts the sum in awesome. Yeah. Thank so, you. So how you been? <laughs> uh, pretty good. How about you? Not too bad. It's been about a month since we've... Um, sat down to record an episode, but thanks to the magic of the internet, I guess it'll only be about two weeks since the listeners have heard you, because we, uh... I'm sorry, guys. We, we've had to, uh... <laughs> you have to apologize. Uh, one of the one of the interesting things about recording with a co-host is is arranging schedules, and, and sometimes we have to record oh, yes. a little earlier than, than earlier the episodes actually come out. But or last minute, what are the other? Right, yeah. We haven't had to do too many last minutes, though, because... You've been real good about working them into your schedule when I need yeah, to get I've been them done, so. Yeah, I've been trying. And you've uh, been pretty free on the weekends, so. That's because I have no life <laughs> other than podcasting and working. So. Uh, I wasn't going to go there, but thank that, you for doing that. That's how I can do three podcasts at one time. Uh-huh, yes. Um, we actually did one episode of Legends of the Batman last summer, I think it was, before the hiatus. Uh, and Mike turned it around in like two days. The whole editing of it, which I thought was pretty impressive. Wow. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> That's I awesome. I don't like to edit that fast myself because <laughs> I don't either. But I've done it. <laughs> it can be done. It's just you know. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think we when recorded Superman of the Bronze Age once, where by the time we got to record it, it was like two days before, three days before it was needed to be released. Hmm. So I wasn't proud of the editing job, but it got out. I think I think that was the week we uh, you and I sat down with the other guys and recorded like the Superman and the or from Crisis to Crisis. Oh, the Doomsday Roundtable, right? Yeah, so I think it was like Sunday we recorded that. Monday we recorded an episode with Michael Bailey, and then Tuesday we recorded the episode that was going to be coming out before the one with Michael Bailey, and that episode was supposed to be out that going to be out that Friday. So <laughs> that was a heavy week. It's all part of the price we pay for being famous internet podcasters. <laughs> well, I don't know about famous, but... Or mildly known in some small niche circles. <laughs> With a couple of listeners here and there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some people might know us. <laughs> so anyway, this time we are looking at the ninth storyline, is it, from the radio show? Sounds about right. All right. So we're going to take a quick break and play a promo, and then we'll come back and Talk about that. And I will use my sexy voice. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Your source for all things related to the Dark Knight, including the latest news related to the comics, movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and much more. Each month, an assortment of podcasts are produced, including a bi-monthly comic podcast, special commentaries and interviews, the Batman Universe specials, and a podcast which delves into TV, movie, merchandise, video game news, and beyond. Keep up to date with everything about Batman, get to know the kooky and lovable casts of the podcasts, 
Listen to in-depth conversations about the latest direct-to-video movies and increase your knowledge about the Dark Knight and his family only at thebatmanuniverse.net. I'm Dustin from thebatmanuniverse.net and I approve this message. Alright, so like I said, this time we're looking at the ninth storyline, which was episodes 46 through 51. It's hard to believe we've hit the 50 episode mark already. Uh, That was fast. Yeah. Well, I guess when you're (laughs) doing six at a time, but still, you know. Still, it doesn't seem like we've been talking about it that often, or that much. Uh -uh. But it ran May 27th to June 7th, 1940, and during that time, nothing else happened. (laughs) <laughs> it was a boring time yeah. in the world There, that, there were weeks. no Superman comics released And the Sunday and The Sunday newspaper strip actually kicked off A new storyline, hopefully Washing away the bad aftertaste that was Assassins and Spies uh, But the Daily Strip was continuing with a Storyline that started in mid-May So, kind of an uneventful time That's a long time. story Yeah. For a Daily Strip mm-hmm. <laughs> But as for this radio serial storyline, it's been called Alonzo Cragg, Arctic Explorer. As our story opens today, we find Kent in the private office of editor Perry White. Listen. All right. We start off the story in Perry White's office, where Perry offers Clark a chance to join the expedition to look for Alonzo Craig, an Arctic explorer that has been missing for the past three years. He had headed up to Yeah, he had headed up an expedition to the islands north of Ellesmere land, which are rumored to be inhabited by Indians or Eskimos that are very tall, strong, and white. And I'm going to stop here and just say that this is one of those stories where there's a lot of use of like Indians instead of saying Native Americans. So you can cut this out. It's it's the 1940s. People understand that. Yeah. Yeah. At least they should. Yeah. Um, These aren't Cleveland Indians. So just to keep that in mind. Cleveland Uh, Rocks. does. Cleveland rocks. It is also rumored that they are ruled over by a king, a witch doctor, who is apparently immortal. So Craig went up to prove these rumors, or disprove these rumors, three years ago this week, but has not been heard from since. Recently, the planet sent up another reporter named Ray Martin and a Professor Peters, whom Clark knows works at the museum to investigate. However, they have not reported in for the last four weeks, and apparently it has been mentioned at various trading posts by the local Indians that Martin and Peters were lost. Uh, 
So since sending one reporter up there is apparently smarter than sending an entire team of people to look for the missing men, White has decided to send Clark to go look for them and find out what happened to Alonzo Craig. Because he doesn't know he's Superman. Anyway, ironically, at this point, Alonzo's twin sister Paula has arrived at the planet, wishing to see Perry. After introductions are made, Paula explains that after she and Alonzo graduated from school, their father gave them identical rings with his initials and their mother's initials carved into the seal on the back. Both of them wore the rings all the time. When Martin and Peters went up to look for Alonzo, she gave her ring to Martin so that he could use it to identify Alonzo if he was found to be dead. But this morning, she received a ring in the mail that had been sent from Port Ormond up north. With it was a note from Alonzo's old navigator, Captain Walters, stating that he bought it from an Indian and that it was Alonzo's ring. Coming up with a bad excuse, White quickly sends her away. He then explains to Clark that the ring is actually Paula's, which he can identify by a small scratch he purposely put in the band before he gave it to Martin. Then he gets... He gets. Then he gets, he gets. Let's try that again. Then he gets a telegram from the same Captain Walters, urging him to get Clark up north quickly. So Clark rushes out, hoping it to make it to the train station in less than 20 minutes to catch a train up north. After a scene transition, though, we join Superman flying north to Port Ormond. Then another transition to Clark meeting up with Captain Walters on an icebreaker heading north to Ellesmere Land. They talk about how one day Alonzo had heard about the quote-unquote luck of the North and set out with only one Indian driver and has never been heard from again. They are interrupted by a blast of a foghorn, which soon echoes back to the boat, indicating that there's an iceberg ahead. Soon there is much commotion, as it appears that they are surrounded by several icebergs. Quickly, using the fog as cover... Clark changes to Superman and dives into the water, planning to shove the icebergs out of the way to make a path for the boat. Unfortunately, even he isn't quick enough, as the boat is starting to be crushed by the icebergs. When our next episode begins, some time has passed. We are told that Superman saved the ship from the icebergs, allowing it to arrive safely at its destination. Clark and his team have set up camp, and we join up with Clark, Captain Walters, and a dog team trying to get on the trail of Peters and Martin. It's night, and Clark and Walters discuss whether to make camp or head back to base. Walters and the dogs are restless and anxious, thinking that there is something out there in the dark. Clark inquires about why Walters sent the urgent telegraph to Perry. Walters explains that he got the ring from an Indian, and the Indian wouldn't say where he got it, but Walters is sure that Martin had it when he last saw him. At Clark's further insistence, Walters says he thinks Cragg found the Indian treasure known as the Luck of the North, but that the supposedly immortal witch doctor had got him. They then talk about Peters and Martin as the dogs begin to howl. Above them, a supernatural image appears in the sky, what appears to be the figure of a man made of pale green fire. As it becomes clearer, they recognize it as an Indian, with his hand raised as a warning. Clark runs off and changes to Superman, taking to the skies to investigate. Finding nothing but clouds and mist, he heads back down and rejoins Walters as Clark. They talk about whether they should go back or not when Clark spots a light ahead on the trail beyond the cliffs. Scared, Walters wants to go back to camp, but Clark insists they go investigate the light despite the ghostly warning that they had seen in the sky. The two forge ahead through the darkness and across the icy fields, but from behind them, hidden in the shadows, forms silently creep about and begin to surround them. 
Finally, they come to an Eskimo hut. Thinking Peters and Martin might be inside, they stop the team and walk the rest of the way. But as they approach the hut, the light flickers out. Clark grabs a flashlight and enters anyway, with Walters behind him. No one is in the cabin, but there are some things there that they think might belong to Peters and Martin. Before they can look farther, however, the dog team begins barking madly. Clark goes to investigate, only to find that the hut has been surrounded by Indians. Clark fights his way through the horde and, apparently hidden by darkness, leaps into the air as Superman with an Indian in each hand. After putting a good scare into the Indians and chasing them off, he then goes back for Walters, who has been knocked out. When Walters recovers, Clark explains what happened and then reveals he has found something in the cabin. Several hours later, because some time has passed, yeah. Clark explains to Walters that he found Martin's diary buried in the ice. Inside, they read that the Indians came after Martin and Peters as well, and that Martin believes that Alonzo Craig may still be alive. Outside, they learn that they are right on the coastline, and down on the water, they spot what appears to be an Eskimo scout in a canoe uh, traveling down the, I guess, the river, who is apparently oblivious to some walruses just ahead of him. At this point, Walters faints. So Clark uses the opportunity to switch to Superman, flies down to the canoe, fights off the walruses, and saves the Eskimo, who actually turns out to be a half-drowned Professor Peters. So he picks up the professor and flies him back to the hut. Some time has passed, and after everyone has recovered, Peters reveals that he is being chased by the chief of the Kunalaka Indian tribe, a.k.a. the witch doctor. He escaped before he and Martin could become part of a tribal sacrifice, but Martin is very sick and needs to be rescued. Peters reveals that the sacrifice is supposed to take place at about noon. And after some frustrating conversation between Clark and the other two men, we learn that it is 11.30 and the camp is 20 miles up the coastline. Both Peters and Walters pessimistically tell him that he can't save Martin, but Clark plans to give it the old college try. So he takes the dog sled part of the way for the sake of appearances, then switches to Superman and flies up to the coastline. Or he switches to Superman and flies up the coastline. He arrives in time to see the ceremony has already started, and Martin is laid out on a stone altar. He flies down, saves Martin, and flies off again. And this has scared off the Indians, by the way. Fortunately for Superman, Martin is... Well, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, Martin is in such bad condition that he isn't really conscious enough to know what's going on, let alone actually see Superman. Superman flies him back to the sled and covers him with some blankets and changes back to Clark and gets Martin to wake up. Unfortunately, he's dying. But with his dying words, he tells Clark about a map in his pocket that leads to a gallery of ice caves full of treasure, an area known as the Luck of the North. He also mentions something about Alonzo Craig, but passes... He also mentions something about Alonzo Craig, but passes away before he can elaborate further. And as the episode ends, we hear a dog giving a death howl. Apparently just leaving Martin's dead body in the Arctic wastes, Clark returns to base, and he and Walters begin studying the map. Unfortunately, they soon realize they've only got half the map. After Walters blames Clark for the map being useless, Clark leans in to study further when the ring given to him by Paula Cragg falls out of his pocket. The ring hits the floor, revealing a secret compartment containing a piece of paper. After examination, Walter realizes that it's the missing half of the map. When the two pieces are put together, it shows a route to the Cliffs of Ice. 
which is where the treasure is located. It also contains a message written by Alonzo Cragg saying that the treasure is in the sunken temple and warning about the witch doctor and something called the White Terror. The three men soon mount up and follow the map across the icy fields as nightfall begins to set. Unfortunately, when they get to the Valley of the Cliffs, the trail ends with no sign of an opening in the ice or any indication of where to go. After hours of fruitless search, the three men decide to make camp and wait for daylight. Just then, though, the dogs begin fighting, and the lead dog gets loose. Walters whistles for the dog, and the high-pitched tone causes an avalanche of ice to fall from the cliff. All three men are unharmed, thankfully, and Clark realizes the dislodged ice has revealed an entrance to the sunken temple. The men enter and follow the tunnel to a huge open gallery with an altar in the center. Peters explains that this is the temple and that the sacred treasure must be nearby, when they are suddenly interrupted by a maniacal laughter echoing through the cavern. Assuming it must be the mystical witch doctor that guards the treasure, Clark tells the men to wait and starts off to investigate, when the witch doctor himself shows. Superman flies after him and, after a brief bit of wrestling, slams the witch doctor into the wall, knocking him out. Clark then realizes the witch doctor's true identity, when suddenly he hears Peters and Walters crying out for help to save them from the White Terror. Superman flies back to find them being attacked by a polar bear. Superman fights off the bear and rejoins Peters and Walters as Clark. He then shows them a ring that the witch doctor was wearing one identical to the one given him by Paula Cragg. Kent then describes the witch doctor to Peters and Walters, and the men confirm that the immortal witch doctor, guardian of the treasure and ruler of the Kunalakas, is none other than Alonzo Cragg. Bum, bum, bum. Mm-hmm. An hour later, after some time has passed. Some time has passed. <laughs> oh, that's their favorite line. Captain Walters has gone up to the surface to look for supplies, while Clark and Professor Peters uh, build a fire on the altar and await his return. They make some small talk about Craig and the Indian tribe and the treasure, and they wonder what caused Craig to become the witch doctor, when suddenly a section of a wall of ice swings open. Inside, they see a passageway with the, which the professor believes will lead to the treasure. He also guesses that the, it was the heat of the fire that caused the door to open in the first place, as if it was part of a ritual. So they head down into the passageway, which leads to another altar, this time with an old chest, possibly from the 17th century, from either Spain or Portugal. So Clark decides to break it open. When they throw back the lid, inside they see diamonds, emeralds, rubies, and gold. Millions of dollars worth of treasure. The professor is super excited about this find, but soon finds himself choking and passing out. At this point, Clark notices a strange odor in the air, and he hears a laugh, the laugh of the witch doctor, and then watches as the ice door slams shut. So he heads back to the door and busts his way through it, as any Superman would do. He starts to look for the witch doctor when a knife is thrown at him. This indicates uh, the witch doctor's position, and Superman gives chase, eventually confronting the witch doctor. There is a bit of a tussle where Superman notes that he's probably the strongest man he's fought so far, but he is eventually able to knock out the witch doctor. He then carries him along as he flies back to the altar, the one with the fire on it. When Peters comes to, he sees Clark with the unconscious witch doctor and is pretty amazed. Clark and Peters use their belts to bind Craig's hands and legs, 
leaving their pants to fall down around their ankles. At this point, <laughs> at this point, Peters notices that the ice door has been shattered, to which Clark can only say that it must have fallen. He then heads out, or he then heads down to retrieve the treasure chest, and working together, they're able to slide it over the ice back up to the altar. Worrying that Walters is taking too long, Clark puts Craig on top of the chest, and together they plan to drag both to the surface. But unfortunately, this is when the rest of the tribe shows up. They try to drag it towards the gallery when a Walters apparently shows up. Now they're all stuck. What will they do? When our final episode begins, the, the entire search party is back at the hut, and they never really explain how they got back there. But Kent stays outside on watch for the Indian War Party, while Walters and Peter are inside the hut, hurriedly packing up food and supplies. Craig is moaning in delirium, while Walters and Peter talk about what happened to him. Peter says he could be under a hypnotic spell, or it could be some sort of drugs or poison, though neither have answers of what could be done to cure him. Outside, the dogs start yelping, and Walters and Peters call for Kent, who tells them the Kunalakas have them surrounded, and that they have no choice but to stay and make a stand. Using only an axe and a rifle, the three men are able to hold off the Indian war party, and as night falls, the Indians make camp, waiting, watching. Clark keeps watch, and shortly after midnight, Peters awakes. Clark reasons that the Indians are the only ones with a chance of healing Crag before telling Peters to go back to sleep, and he'll wake him when it's his turn to take watch. Soon we find Superman racing through the night. Entering once more into the sunken temple, Superman finds the Indians chanting. He descends to the middle of the temple and demands to see the chief. Indians attack, and Superman easily fights off the entire horde before grabbing the chief and demanding to know what they've done to Krag. The chief refuses to talk, unafraid of Superman's threats. He says they made Krag their medicine man, and he'll stay their medicine man until he dies. Back at the camp, Krag's condition is growing worse when Clark arrives back, dismissing questions about where he's been, and enlists Walters and Peters to force a powder and some water down Krag's throat. Craig then turns a ghastly white as the Indians outside begin to advance towards the hut. Walters pulls the gun to shoot, but Clark grabs the gun away and warns him off. As the Indian chief confronts Clark, miraculously, Craig begins to revive. Clark then points at the chest and tells the chief to take the treasure back per the terms of their agreement. It seems Clark had struck a deal with the Indians, that if they gave him the antidote for Craig, they could have the treasure back. Walters and Peters are taken aback, but Clark explains that human life is always more valuable than money. Soon we find Clark and Craig on a boat back to civilization. Clark starts to give Craig back his ring, but Craig declines, saying he wants Clark to keep the heirloom as a symbol of the saving of a man's soul. The oh, end. Oh, oh. That's sweet. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman of the Bronze Age is a weekly podcast covering the adventures of Superman from 1970 to 1986. Join host Charlie Niemeyer at superbronze1970.libsyn.com.
Radio.com. So our cast this time, we had Bud Collier as Superman and Clark Kent, obviously, and Julian Noah as Perry White, but I have no idea about any of the rest of the cast. None of them (laughs) sounded like people we've heard on the show to this point. Or even like each other too much. Yeah. So, I don't know on that. (laughs) But as for our notes, they they open up this storyline with no reference to last storyline. Yeah, they, they they waste no time. They just jump right in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I like I said before. I like when they at least give a a nod to the the last storyline wrapping up. But uh, then again, I guess there's really no easy segue from foiled assassination attempt to crazy explorer who thinks he's a witch doctor. <laughs> at least they didn't say. As the episode begins, some time has passed. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, they used that enough in the other five episodes. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, you mentioned it earlier. They they describe the uh, the Kunalaka as Indians or Eskimos, but then they also say they are giant white men. And I didn't know if that was a one of the you know the nineteen forties vaguely racist but not really intending to be type of thing, or if they were being purposely vague about who the Kunalakas were to add to the mystery. I was thinking vague the the they were being kind of vague to add to the mystery. Okay. But uh then again I'm thinking about it from twenty twelve and not nineteen forty, so I'm right. not sure. Because Indians and Eskimos aren't aren't really at all the same. No, not I really. Would, I wouldn't describe them as white either. So it's, it's no. kinda weird. Well if that was part of the thing is that was part of the um Surprise is that they are white. That, that it was when Perry's uh, telling Clark about it. It was the it was it wasn't. I mean, saying it was Indians or Eskimos was one thing. The very tall, very strong. Once he says very white, Clark like what? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> there's no such things. All right, I'll go with they they were being purposely vague, but with hints of 1940s racism. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. When they started talking about the witch doctor, I thought about that old song. I told the witch doctor I was in love with you. I told the witch doctor I was in love with you. And then the witch doctor, he told me what to do. He said that... I saw the witch doctor and this yeah. yeah. So I had that going in my Are head you the whole of time. That version or the the rap version from the Chipmunks movie? A rap, really? Yeah. That that's yeah. yeah. No, I'm I'm with the old school stuff. It's so bad I'm not even gonna edit it into the show. Thank you. Yeah. I am gonna have to look for it after we finish this now. <laughs> Thank you, but at least I won't have to hear it when I hear the episode. We Thank could do it now, and we get your we could get your reaction live on the air. Uh okay, hold on. <laughs> uh, let's see, and I'm on YouTube, which works. So let's see, Witch Doctor rap. Let's see what that brings up. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Witch Doctor. Everybody can do it. 
listening to the right one. major props for being able to sing it that fast. Well, I'm sure it was sped up in post. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, wow. <laughs> ah, the chipmunk shouldn't rap. It's just weird. Yeah. yeah. They, they don't, the, the voices are just too high-pitched for that. <laughs> and, wow. <laughs> I think the chipmunks were something better left in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. I haven't watched any of these. I wasn't really interested in these live-action movies, but... Yeah, me either. Man. (laughs) E to the oo to the oo, ah, ah. (laughs) Great. Now I'm going to have that version stuck in my head, because I had the (laughs) other one going all day. Thanks a lot. (laughs) All part of my thanks for you being my... (laughs) Yeah. Happens every freaking episode, isn't it? (laughs) Um, I also noticed... Back to the episode that we were talking about, though. Um, <laughs> when Paula comes in, she explains that she and Alonzo were twins. Now, I don't know if this is because she thinks he's dead or or what, but I would think that they would still be twins. Well, yeah. I mean, you don't stop being twins just because you're older. Like, we were twins. Not anymore, but we were. <laughs> we were twins until I killed him. And now yeah, we're not twins. And now I've got, now I've got, I need his ring back. And man, they were really piling on the mysteries by the end of this episode. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, it was crazy. They had, you already have the Alonzo Craig missing thing. Then you have the Martin and Peters missing part. Then you have the whole thing with the ring coming in. And then now, then there's something else that they Walters needs Clark to hurry up. Yeah, it's like wow. And they, yeah, they, they keep the mystery going for a couple episodes too on some of that. Mm-hmm. And for like an 11 minute episode it seemed like they crammed a lot of stuff without it feeling like they crammed in a lot of stuff it wasn't just an, uh, an info dump exactly yeah. which is part of, probably part of the reason they didn't have a intro a nice intro like we have it just literally starts as we begin our episode Clark yeah. is in Perry's office listen yeah but one complaint I have about this episode is, is basically just like in the audition episodes we looked at after Christmas mm-hmm we have Clark being sent somewhere where three people have gone missing. And I don't know why the authorities aren't being involved here. I mean, I can understand it for Craig because he's been gone for three years, mm-hmm. but Peters and Martin just disappeared recently. Mm-hmm. So. And like I said, you know, one reporter is much better than like a whole crew of people. Like National a search party. Something, yeah. yeah. I can understand sending Clark to cover, to go cover the disappearances. Mm-hmm. But. To be the search team or even leading the search team is kind of ridiculous. And and all they would have needed is a couple lines of dialogue explaining that the, the police are searching and then, you know, Perry sending Clark to do the story of their disappearances and cover the search. Because it would still get him there and, and involved, but it wouldn't be so ridiculous that he's the only guy going to look for him. Yeah, they don't even make it sound like there's anyone looking at all. Right. 
like the only one that knows they're actually missing is I guess the captain if even that Captain Walters right yeah so it was just, yeah so I don't know <laughs> but, I mean I can understand having faith Clark's pulled some pretty awesome stories lately making a lot of big changes and solving a lot of big mysteries mm-hmm. but yeah like you said I think it's a little much this time yeah. Even if he was leading, a, like you said, just leading a, like three or four people going with him, would be one thing. But him by himself is just weird. And yet he does it. <laughs> so that's because he's he's Superman. Of course, yes. <laughs> but no one um, knows he's Superman. Exactly. Yeah. Except for um, what's his name? The the that professor and his son. Oh right, 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 and and the cab driver. That's right. Yes. That he threatened. And the 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 little Filipino houseboy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to say, this was a really cool cliffhanger on the first episode. Mm-hmm. Because it sounds it was a like very cool cliffhanger. The, yeah, not just because of the ice. It sounds literally like the boat is already getting smashed up. They have no chance. Right. <clears throat> I don't like how they brought in the, the second episode because that kind of killed the whole thing. But it was a really cool cliffhanger. Yeah, it was very disappointing that they they not only brought the second episode in after Superman had saved the ship from the ice, but they're quite a bit later because they were already at what was the name of the place? Esmeralda Land or Esmeralda Land? Esmeralda Land. That's what it was. Yeah. Esmeralda. Suddenly, it's named after. It's a park at Disney, named after one of the evil bad guys from a movie. But they're they're already there. They set up camp and then set out. He's already, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're already there. Set up camp and they're on the trail looking for Peters and Martin. Yeah, so, talk about some time has passed. I think that's my biggest complaint about the radio show so far is the way they set up a big cliffhanger and then just totally skip over it when they start kind of the next brush episode. it under the rug and get yeah. on the story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, should we go into episode two then? Oh yeah, we're already there. Okay. Unless you had something else about one. I'm sorry, no, no. I kind of jumped on ahead and. I was just gonna say that I, my first note was the same thing. After a great cliffhanger, we were left with the narrator just explaining how they got out of the predicament, and yeah. then way ahead. It's just kind of frustrating. But um, when we see the green flame figure in the sky, I'm like, Green Lantern cameo. <laughs> I don't even know if he's if he's out yet. Uh yeah oh yeah Alan Scott had debuted by this point okay mm-hmm. so yeah and you know he was the key, you know Green Flame so it works but very good yeah very cool Green Lantern I didn't make the connection but very good yeah. and see was, and you said and we were saying before that they don't have any of the other DC people uh, characters in here and now so we've worked in Batman and Green Lantern yeah see and we haven't even gotten to the fiftieth episode yet right um I was kind of curious what that vision was was supposed to be was it a hallucination or something that the indians caused yeah i thought it was since clark saw it i, I figured it was something the indians caused i just don't know how they did it they don't really explain it at all yeah and with i kinda all liked this, it it gives kind yeah, of it a cool. supernatural magical feel to the indians and i couldn't wait for them to explain how they did it they never did right. but i couldn't wait for them to explain how it happened but yeah i, I don't think since Clark saw it, I don't think it was an hallucination because they've done a pretty good job in the last two stories. This story, later in this story and last story, is showing off that gas and stuff doesn't affect Clark. Right. So, 
I mean, it could be something that Peters and, or we don't have seen Peters by this point. Walters and his men could be hallucinating, but Clark wouldn't have seen it too. So, good point. Unless they're unless it was magic. Yes, uh, but they haven't really brought them up the the magical weakness in yet. That doesn't come until closer to the Silver Age. Yeah, he, uh, yeah. When Mixia's Tipolix shows up because right. he had a different name. Yeah, well, I guess that's still Golden Age. That's forty that, something. But still, that's a ways off from where we're at. Yeah, that's still like five or six years. I want to say. Yeah. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. It's kind of annoying how Walters keeps saying engine instead of Indian, mm-hmm. but I really appreciate how the show attempts to give the the, the supporting, you know, the one storyline only type characters some personality and and uniqueness. Like we had Asa Hatch last storyline, and while he lost that. After the first episode or two, you know he was <laughs> he was still kind of a unique character, and here we have uh, Walters with a very unique dialect and and way of speaking. So like, I I appreciate that they're they're giving some character to their characters. Mm-hmm. It's a that's a very slang term. I, I've heard them call them engine before, like watching some of the old uh, like the old Looney Tunes cartoons and stuff yeah. from this time period. They did call them engines then. I just thought it was a weird... They were just saying Indian really fast, but I don't know. Oh, what, the show you mean? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I figured he was just... Well, mm-hmm. I didn't really think much of it because I'd heard it so many times before. Oh, okay. Because of those car- old I cartoons. Yeah. yeah. And I remember when I used to listen, see, hear it on the old cartoons, I was just thinking they were saying Indian fast. Oh, I see. It's okay. like Indian. 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 Okay, yeah. I understand. Okay. I mean, it could be engine. I'm slow, but I understand after a while. <laughs> well, you're in Indiana, so it's all right. But yeah, we had a nice little mystery going on so far here, getting towards the end of episode two. Uh, there wasn't really a villain introduced of yet, and it reminds me kind of of Emerald of the Incas. Exactly. At this yeah, point. they're still adding to the mystery right. in the second episode instead of just throwing it all. Usually, by the first episode, sets up the whole mystery, and then you have them figuring things out and. Right. This is still adding to it before they figured anything out. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. And it, it amazes me that Batman never had a radio show that took off. I know. This was like tailor-made for him. Yeah. Because really, with a few minor tweaks, all the radio shows we've looked at so far could have been Batman stories. You know, you yeah. would have had to lessen the Superman-type feats in them, but, but they're yeah, the all mysteries and, but, yeah. and crooks and stuff, so... Yeah, they're all like, well, I want to kind of street level ish, but. Yeah. Um, I did the ending after the cliffhanger ending of last episode, the cliff and mm-hmm. After the cliffhanger ending of last episode being so cool, I hated this one. Because yeah. it's like Clark shows something, and then the guy's like, what is it, Kent? What is it? Tell me what it is. What is it, Kent? What could it possibly be? What is it? What is it? It's like. He really overplayed dude. that. Yes. It's like, just say, what is it? And then leave it at that. But not like, what it is? What it is. Yeah. But, I kind of had a similar note for my first note for the next episode. Is that he got awful excited over, over a diary. Yeah. A it's like, I can't tell what it is. Tell me what it is. Tell me what it is. It's like, okay, maybe he's supposed to be trying to amp up the curiosity so the kids will come back and listen to the next episode. But dang. <laughs> That's just a little overdoing it right there. Yeah. He, yeah, he overdid it. Uh, but why did Walters faint getting into the next episode? Well, they said it was something like uh, 
probably because of the clip on the head he got the last episode. And Clark was trying to tell him that he needs to, you know, settle down because he that was quite a hit he took. And the okay. guy was like, "Oh, I'm fine." And then he passes out. So yeah, it was very convenient. <laughs> but of course, I thought for a second there that the way he said he was all in, I thought he died right there. <laughs> and I was like, so after just laughing off, "Oh yeah, I got hit on the. I've been hit on the head before. I'm f- oh, I'm all in." <laughs> it's like, dude, he's dead. Yeah, <laughs> but, but he wasn't. Clark makes it after Walter's faints. Clark makes a comment that it was very convenient that he fainted. <laughs> I'm thinking, yes, it was very convenient. He fainted just when Superman was needed, and there yeah, was no that? way for Superman to act when Walter's was standing right there. <laughs> uh, gotta love it. I didn't know walruses were so like dangerous. Apparently, yeah. Although, I mean, yeah, there's that walrus from from the Wood, Woody Woodpecker cartoons, but. I don't know. That's the only evil walrus I've ever seen, so I don't know. Although, the walruses, to me, sounded more like Tauntauns. So, <laughs> maybe they're on Hoth. Oh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, that that's exactly what's going on there. These aren't walruses. And, and, but, you know, These aren't if you the cut walruses open, you're looking for. <laughs> you cut them open with a lightsaber, and that's going to keep you warm. And I thought they smelled bad on the outside. <laughs> oh no! You got to put the pause. And I thought they smelled bad <laughs> on the outside. Uh, good stuff. Can you imagine if William Shatner played Han Solo? Oh my God! <laughs> I guess he was a little too old at that point. But yeah, but I, I just don't think it'd be quite as cool. Oh no! I'm sorry, Guido, but I'm going to shoot first. <laughs> Captain Kirk versus Han Solo. Go. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, there was, oh, I saw on Facebook someone posted a picture just to mess with people. It was, um, you've seen that Firefly show, right? Oh yeah. Heard of it? Okay, so uh-huh. they had, it was a picture of him, and next to it was the quote, live long and prosper, and it was, uh, the quote was uh, given to Han Solo. And the guy just posted, I love to, you know, rile up the nerds in the morning or something. Because <laughs> it was all wrong in every way imaginable. It yeah. was so... That's funny. <laughs> I liked it. Not that that really has anything to do with the show. I just thought it was funny. My next note is that at the very tail end of the episode. Do I have another note? Uh... Oh, okay. <clears throat> My note's next. Uh, after <laughs> Superman saves Martin and gets him back to the dog sled and covers him up with the blankets, there's this whole thing where he's calling Martin, Martin, wake up, Martin, come on, wake up. And it's like, I don't know, maybe 20 seconds long, but the whole time he's very slowly and gradually changing from his Superman voice to his Clark voice. Right. And you can literally hear it, and it just sounds so awesome. There we are. That's it. Get him all covered up. Ray. Ray, are you all right? Ray, it's Clark Kent. Ray, don't you know me? It's Kent. Clark Kent. Kent. Good old Kent. No, you're gone. Ray, you bet I came. Oh, you'll be all right now. Everything's going to be all right. No. No. No use. Do you think he's getting better at that change as we go on? Oh, I would have meant, yeah. Because as, as good as it was right at the very beginning, it was... At the very beginning, he was still wait, he was using like a, the space between words to do the switch. Right. 
and actually he's a lot more known for doing it that way but yeah at this point he's doing very gradual over the course of like a few sentences and stuff I would say yeah awesome I wonder if he practiced that standing at home in front of the mirror talking and then lowering the, his voice the script or like when he's driving in his car yeah <laughs> Yeah, he he's doing it. That would freak out. He's riding the subway or something to the. It's, it's like, wake up, Martin! Wake up! Wake up, Martin! Wake up! And everyone's like, who the hell's Martin? <laughs> I'm sorry, heck, who the heck's Martin? I did like though at the very end of the episode after Martin died, we get that mournful howl from the dogs. Yeah, it was very was fitting. Kind of chilling. That was really cool. I liked it. It was a good way to – it wasn't really a cliffhanger, but it was an interesting way to end – well, I guess it was because something's up with Alonzo. But it was a really chilling way to end the week. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you have anything else for episode 48 or are we ready to go on to 49? Uh, 48 was the third episode, right? Yes. Yeah. No. I'm okay. done. <laughs> when the dogs break loose here at the beginning of the episode, Peters and Clark – both tell Walters to whistle at the dog mm-hmm. and I'm thinking well instead of telling him to whistle why not just do it yourself <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point yeah if it's, I was if like, it's whistle, that urgent whistle. just do it yeah maybe their whistles aren't the kind that they maybe the dogs are trained for a certain women who was whistling Walters yes yeah maybe it's a special kind they have a special trained whistle thing that they do I don't know yeah that's a good point okay I'll, okay I'll buy that yeah. At least the dogs sound like dogs. Yes. Yes. The they were <laughs> even can, the whining you can still, still sounded like dogs. Still kind of tell that there was uh, some human in there, but that they sounded a lot, a lot, lot better than than the last. <laughs> yes. Dogs way way back. Yeah, yeah. That, those were terrible. But I have to wonder, and I thought about this as you were going, you were going over your synopsis. How big are these rings? that you can shove half a map in it. Well, I, I thought about that, and I was wondering if it was like... Superman used to, he used that chemical he uses to compress his Clark Kent clothes, and, compre- <laughs> and they compress the map to, like, really, really small. No, but you know how some rings have, like, a, a thing on the top of them? Mm-hmm. Like, this is going to be a, a weird connection, but, like, a Green Lantern ring, it has the band and then a thing on the top. Right. With like a little compartment, I was wondering if it wasn't one of those. Okay, still that's a big. Compartment. You don't see men wearing those too often. No, no, which no. is weird. Those are, those are girly rings. But, but I don't know. yeah, I was just—I mean, that's half a map. I don't know how big this map is, but if you're going to be able to read it, it's got to be of some good size. Right. And to have half the map hidden in this ring, it just had to be a pretty good size bracelet ring. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I could be wrong, but. The Joker was in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I had the same note. Yeah. Yay. So see, we, what, what what have we got now? We got Batman, Green Lantern, Green Batman, Lantern, and Joker. Joker. Yep. And two of them show up in this one series. Yes. <laughs> um, if we can go back a minute to when they were whistling at the dogs. Okay. I Sorry. know that high-pitched tones can shatter glass, you know, if it's if it's the right frequency. Mm-hmm. But a regular whistle causing ice to dislodge, I don't know about that. It, I think I I'm okay with it in the context of the story, but it kind of stuck out to me. Yeah, I think I took it like an avalanche kind of thing. Right. But, yeah, I don't know that you could break ice with it. I don't know. None, none of the glass broke around me when I was listening to it either, so I don't know. 
listening to Superman Radio may cause glass damage. <laughs> Warning. Yeah. Like I said, I'm okay with it in the context, but it just kind of stuck out on me. And, and, and if you if you think about it, if a, if whistling could cause an avalanche or, or ice to dislodge, whichever it was, you'd think Walters would know that since he's from the area. Exactly. But. Possibly Peters, too, since he would he's been up there long enough and he's a professor. Right. Well, he's the one that told him afterwards. I know. That's what, that's what I'm saying. It's like he should know better. Right. I think the only one that might not have known better would have been Clark. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, so it's just kind of weird. I, I kind of like the fight between when they finally find the witch doctor I, I like the fight between Superman and the witch doctor and kind of brutal how he just slammed his head into the ice wall and knocked him out yes <laughs> that was fun um, I, it's definitely a golden age Superman thing to do oh definitely very much so mm-hmm. but then he comes back out and uh, confronts the white terror and, and we, we, we praise that they fix the dog noises but then the polar bears sound exactly like the walruses from. Actually, in this case, I think they just didn't know what to call them. But they that was the tauntauns. <laughs> polar bears are tauntauns. Well, yeah, you know they're the great white terror, and they didn't know what else to call them. So they're like, uh, oh, we'll call them. They're like polar bears. We'll call them that. But George Lucas was the only one that knew that they were actually tauntauns. <laughs> oh well, thank heaven for George Lucas then. Mm-hmm. But Superman says here. I like animals. I don't like to hurt them. Kent! Kent, where are you? Look out! Stay back, both of you! Stay back! Now then, first a devil and a bear. Oh, a bear, bigger than anything I ever saw. Here he comes. Back you go. Back! I like animals. I don't like to hurt them. Glad that bear turned tail. Now, back to... Peters, yeah. What? Yeah. Other than the the, the whole packet of badly no- sounding dogs from like that one episode where he's literally throwing them away and punching right. them. Yeah, but even in the comics, he's done nothing but abuse animals since he first started appearing in the comics. I mean, he yeah. he left a dog to die in a swamp. He's been smacking around lions and elephants and uh, he got he got a tiger and a gorilla last story. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I I wonder if if the radio show got complaints about Superman smacking the dogs around and the lion and the gorilla in the previous when they were on the train there. Possible. And if part this of was the, their response to that. Part of the softening of Superman that well, not go through this era. Not necessarily that, but I mean right from the outset the radio show was a lot more conscious about that kind of things because of pressure from parents groups and stuff. Yeah, good point. So Plus you actually hear it instead of just right. drawn on paper. You hear that's the, a help. Yeah. You like somebody smacking a melon. Yeah. Oh, that noise would sound like a busted cr- uh, skull, I would think. <laughs> so what did you think about the revelation that Alonzo Craig was the witch doctor? Did you, um, did you know it was coming before? Well, this time I did. Oh, okay. Because uh, I had heard it way back when someone sent me a CD with all these episodes. Okay. But the first time I listened to it, I was totally dumbfounded but I mean it, I, I, I could see why normally you would see it because it sounds like something they would do in stories like this but yeah that was a little because they had a guy before so it's like what happened to the other guy because he's not supposed to die so who died and three years wouldn't be long enough for well I guess maybe it would but 
yeah, it's still it was a little yeah. When you say dumbfounded, did you do you mean that you were like, oh, this is ridiculous, or did it pique your interest and make you want to listen more? Uh, mostly ridiculous because we have a white guy coming in from outside of the tribe, and now he's the leader of the tribe. Huh. Okay. And from now, I I'm no expert, obviously, but from what I've heard, um, you could they don't normally allow outsiders to be head of a tribe. It's usually someone from within, you know. So it was just kind of strange. They, and plus, this he got stronger and. You know, all the reports you'd heard about him, he was taller, bigger, stronger, and all this stuff. And Alonzo Craig, they never said anything about him being anything but, like, a normal-sized person. So Right. But, yeah, the, the I, I, I was kind of amazed that they let him be the chief. Hmm. Or the witch doctor, even, because, I mean, like I said, it's like, one of, it's like you or I going up there and being like, hey, I'm the witch doctor now. And yeah. Saying, okay. <laughs> you know, so I didn't really think about that part of it at, at first. I was a little confused, but then I was like, "Oh, this is awesome!" You know, it. it I was kind of ho hum towards the storyline until we had Superman fighting the polar bear, and then they revealed that it was Alonzo Craig. I mean, it really brought me back in, and I couldn't wait to hear the next episode. So that's interesting that we have such different takes on that. But I, but you're right. Yeah, I, I didn't really think about that stuff when I heard it. Well, if it helps, I didn't really think about it till like just now. <laughs> oh. If that makes you feel any better at all. <laughs> but getting uh, into, did you have anything else for this episode? Well, uh, a note that was kind of, I think you unfortunately skipped over. Um, it was very convenient that the ice avalanche revealed the tunnel in the first place. Yeah. And I just thought that was interesting because, it, it. I mean, there's a lot of conveniences in this story, especially this one episode. Is this the episode where he saves them from the... No, that was last episode. But basically, if the dogs hadn't broken loose, they never would have found the place. Right. Or they might have the next... Because they were going to make camp for the night. Okay. And do more searching in the morning. So they might have found it then. Yeah. But it would have involved some digging. I don't know how much digging they would have done. Right. Yeah, that's a pretty big convenience. I'll give you that much. Well, thanks. Or, or give me that much, since it was my note. It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just kind of went with it. Uh, so moving on to episode 50, uh, when they get into the temple and they, they build a fire, which causes the ice door behind the temple to – or behind the altar to open. So we have heat-operated ice doors, which I'm sure made even less sense in 1940 than it does today. Well, I, I was kind of worried about them making a fire inside an ice cave. <laughs> Because uh, uh, depending on how good they are at making a fire in an ice cave, I would think eventually it's going to turn into a water cave. So, yeah. Well, there was already – maybe it was constructed in such a way that the heat wouldn't affect the actual cave itself because they said there was already wood there where they had been doing hmm. – well, they didn't really specify what they'd been doing. But Peters said something about – or no, Walter said something about that it could be – uh, chants and dancing and sacrifices, that kind of thing. So they already had the altar there. Yeah, the, the good point. Kunalakas did. My note, though, is um, again, like we were noting with the walruses and the polar bear sounding the same, either there was just some really weird timing that 
or or it's just they reusing sound effects or something. But when they opened the chest, it totally sounded like the dogs whining. Yeah. It wasn't a creaking noise. It was a. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> so I noticed I like, that too. Yeah. I didn't make a note about it, but yeah, I noticed that too. It's kind of weird. It was just, so I, I, I was going to throw in there since that was mine. I was going to be like, and as they opened the, the chest, dogs whine. But I figured that was more something for uh, the notes than my synopsis. But that's the only note I had for the episode. It was pretty interesting, but it's it, again, it was like some a lot, quite a bit happened. But it was one of those action things where you can't really write too much about what happened without right. giving the whole. And then they struggle, and then they hold each other, and then they cuddle, and then <laughs> Superman knocks them out. And it's just weird. And then the radio show got really, really weird. <laughs> but I didn't have any notes on it either. I mean, it, it seems to be the pattern that the fifth episode of the storyline seems to be the one we have the least note, least amount of notes on. Yeah, because that's it's like the action. It's like the action episode. Uh-huh. Yeah. So moving into episode fifty-one, I thought that was cool. We had Superman fighting an entire horde of natives. I thought that was pretty awesome. Yes, but uh, my I, my note was uh, Clark is supposed to be keeping watch outside of the hut that they miraculously returned to really fast. Yeah, yeah. So when they start the episode fifty one here, which is the final episode of the storyline, they just say that because when they were wrapping up episode fifty, they said that the they were in the temple and the Indians were closing in on them. But then in episode fifty one, it says that they were safely able to bring the treasure and Crag out of the temple. And now they're back at the hut, and the war party is closing in on them there. But they don't say how. Right. It just says they were able to get safely out of the temple, which is... I guess from however Craig got back in, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, it would have been nice to have some explanations. They didn't do a very good job with like the cliffhanger stuff this time. No. The cliffhangers... Excuse me. At least two of them. The cliffhangers themselves were pretty good. It's the beginning of the fi- of the next episode that sucked. Yeah, I think and, every episode this time started out with a jump in time. Exactly. It's not even like those old serials where like some, you see something happen and then when you start the next episode it's like a different angle and it's something different kind of happens, you know? Right. Like you see the car drive all the way to the cliff and fall out without people jumping out but then at the beginning of the next one you see them and it slowed up it came to a dead stop and they got out of the car and pushed it over the cliff is what happened that's how they freed themselves but this they just sit there and explain it and it's like you're killing half your st- it's like they had too much story for the six episodes and they just had to and unfortunately some of the stuff that sounds Interest, some of the more interesting sounding stuff is the stuff that the narrator just explains it. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. I derailed you with that. You, you were going to say something else and I derailed you. On that. Oh, no problem. Um, but anyway, back in the – once they're at the hut, um, it's interesting. Clark's supposed to be keeping watch, but without saying anything, he allows the Indians to surround them. What was he going to do? Well, he could have said something. <laughs> he didn't even say it. He's supposed to say something if something comes up. That's the whole point of standing watch. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> he stood there yeah. and watched as they surrounded them. <laughs> you know, it's just, okay. Maybe he was just supposed to keep them out of the hut. I don't know. I'm trying to no prize it, and I'm, I'm not having any luck. <laughs> uh, Obviously, you're not truly a true believer. I guess not. I'm a DC guy. What do you know? Yeah, me too. I hear you. My only other note was that it was kind of a neat bit at the end with Clark or with Craig giving Clark the ring as a symbol of the good he had done. I, I liked that bit. Kind of. Yes, I'm sorry. 
know, as you say, it's kind of odd when you think about it. I mean, was the ring valuable or special in some way? It, it's a great gesture, and I liked it. I, I guess I just didn't get why the ring itself was important at that point. Um, at that point, I don't know that it was, other than the fact that it was given to him and his sister by their parents when they graduated. And it has their parents' initials on it, on a seal in the back. <laughs> and it's something that the two twins shared together. They have identical rings, other than the scratch that Perry White purposely put on her, Paula's. Right. Who we haven't heard from since the first episode. No, we never hear from her again. I do like, though, because I thought you're, I was reading the wrong notes. Um, I do like, though, uh, er, a little bit earlier in the episode, uh, Clark is giving the antidote and water to Craig. Or Craig. See, I thought it was Craig the whole time. But anyway. Um, I thought they were saying Craig. It sounded but. like Craig, but that's spelled Craig, so I wasn't sure. <laughs> okay, maybe it's just my ears. I... No, no, it totally sounded like Craig. I don't, I, I don't, uh, anyway. <laughs> um, but I love how... We, we both spelled Kunalakas right, or, or the same, <laughs> but we, we, we are disagreeing on the... <laughs> pronounce the, 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 the so simple we're getting, name. So. Yeah, we're getting better at spelling. It's just the talking that's the problem. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, podcasting is not what we should be doing. Um, <laughs> especially for you with the three shows. Okay, so episode six, though, we have uh, Clark just gives them the stuff, or gives him the antidote, but the other two are constantly saying, what are you doing? What are you giving him, Kent? What's going on? Yeah. Clark just completely ignores it. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't respond to him. He's just, what are you doing? I, I can't believe you're giving him something. Look, now he's turning white. What did you give him? What are you doing? What is going on? And he's just silent. Uh-huh. It's like, for just when they filmed that part, Bud Collier was going to the bathroom or something. I don't know. But <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. It's like, it's like when he ignores... that. Well, that and episode five, it reminded me that when the, do- when, uh, the professor notices the door open and it's been smashed, and the way he says it, it's like... Oh dear, the door has been smashed open. And Clark's just like, "Oh yeah, huh? Huh? Wonder how that happened." I guess it fell. <laughs> just like, let's just kind of like get past it and just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Pay no attention to the guy behind the curtains. But overall, I like this storyline. I mean, I had a lot fewer comments about this one, but it was still pretty entertaining. We had a good mystery, and they really hit us with a swerve with the Craig being the witch doctor, which I liked. Um, even though I admit that there's some kind of questionable stuff like we talked about. Uh, but there was no gaping plot holes aside from the leaps in time at the beginning of each episode. So, nice stuff. Yeah. Now, see, when I just listened to it, tried to listen to it for fun, this one really bored me. Oh, yeah? And, uh, yeah, it just, I don't know, I didn't find it as interesting as some of the others. Huh. But going back and listening to it for this, I did find it a little more entertaining. If only just because of laughing at the way that they started each episode with some time has passed. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was a lot more entertaining. Still not my favorite, but yeah, it was still entertaining. Once again, though, we have Clark leaving town to do something. They they he just never don't like to keep him in one spot at all. No, he's. You know what though? If he's got a good credit card, <laughs> uh, he's getting some good frequent flyer miles out. Well, this time he flew Superman air but when the, all the traveling he normally does I mean he's got to get be getting some pre, some good points you know he could get some free hotel stays and stuff yeah I guess the only other comment I had well really two things one was that it it felt kind of an overall comment about the, the story itself is it felt like a different kind of story like I said it reminded me at the beginning of 
Emerald of the Incas, but that was really only the first couple episodes, and then once they got to where they were going to Es Esmerland, um, Land. Esmerland. There you go. Why can't I say that? Because <laughs> you keep wanting to say Esmeralda. Okay, uh, but once they got there, it really took its own course. So, really, it was only the setup that was similar to Emerald of the Incas. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that and Clark's comments at the end, which were basically about human life being worth more than treasure. But oh, oh, did it seem to you like Superman was doing a lot more narrating of the navigation of his flight in this batch? With the yeah, he was faster, talking faster, stuff a lot of more. Yeah, he was talking a lot more. I don't know. Well, yeah, I don't know how much of it was the up, up and stuff because I just noticed more he was talking to himself a lot more when he was flying. Maybe that was it. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're – did you have any more comments? I'm sorry. Oh, no. That's all <laughs> I had. Well, if you're interested in hearing this batch of episodes, unfortunately, they've never been released, but – like the entire, Ooh. like with all the radio show, you can find them at a variety of places across the internet. So, check them out. Like where? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Not here, folks, because because that would be wrong. Well, they're they're all public domain. So. Oh well, then never mind. Yeah, that's why I don't mind editing in as many clips as I do because they're public domain. Yeah, as opposed to the other stuff that people use on their podcasts, like. I don't know, the Superman movie theme song or <laughs> I don't know anyone that does that. No, I don't, I don't know either one that does no, that either. No, yeah. no, no, no. Or the Batman movie theme song or Green Lantern movie theme song. <laughs> Perhaps the from the animated movie that's yeah, I think yeah. all that falls under fair use though. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It should. I mean we're not making money off of it and we're not Yeah. No one's gonna listen to our podcast instead of buying the soundtrack. So, yeah, the po- podcast would be so much less entertaining if you didn't have some music at some point in the episode. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. you gotta have it, and yeah, you can't make unless you want to make up your own. That could be interesting. I've sung on this show before. They don't. They don't want that to happen again. No, no. I, at least on a regular not basis. One, not one I'm on anyway. Right. Um, no offense, but. Oh no! I, I don't. I don't. I don't want to break the headphones. I, I totally admit that I am tone deaf. So there you go. <laughs> On May thirtieth, two thousand eleven, DC Comics announced the historic renumbering of all their superhero titles, and the internet broke in half. Critics and naysayers abounded. Confusion reigned across fandom. What'll I do? What'll I do? What an unusual view. Not to mention the first reactions to the Supergirl costume. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it, flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breaths, heaving. But then the books actually hit. And opinions... He likes it! He likes it! Opinions began to change. The New 52 Adventures of Superman is a monthly podcast where John Wilson... J. David Weider... And... Michael Kaiser... Take a look at each of the adventures of Superman and his family of characters in Action Comics. You know the deal, Metropolis. Treat people right, 
or expect a visit from me. The Superman who appeared six months ago could hurdle skyscrapers and toss trucks around. Now it's faster, now it's stronger. How soon before it can't be stopped? Superboy. If resolving a situation for him is going to get me out from under these people once and for all, that's a small price to pay for freedom. Release the Superboy. Supergirl. Okay. Giant metal creatures. Falling from the sky. Speaking in clicks and beeps. Father would love this dream. And Superman. You could do so much good. We could do so much good. I am doing good, Lois. Clark's such a loner. Never really lets anyone get close to him. The new 52 Adventures of Superman. Available the first of every month on iTunes and at new52superman.libson.com. Lancers, I've called you here to this unprecedented gathering because we face an unprecedented danger. An enemy we don't yet fully understand. It was for this moment that we were created, but I don't need to tell you your duty. I don't need to tell you who we are. Chosen by the Mystic Guardians of the Universe. Recruited from across the galaxy for their bravery and courage. The best and brightest joined to fulfill a solemn oath. In brightest day. In blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might Beware my power Green Lantern's Light Green Lantern's Light A monthly podcast covering the adventures of Hal Jordan, Jon Stewart, Guy Gardner and the entire Green Lantern Corps from 1984 through today Say the oath Join the Corps Green Lantern's Light Available monthly at GreenLanternsLight.com Well, folks, that's it for this episode. Charlie, thank you as always. Thank you for having me. This was fun again. Why don't you let them know where they can find you? Um, I'm currently doing a short number of little guest spots. To helping John Wilson talk about action comics because of Jack Burnley's art, uh, fantastic artwork uh, over at goldenagesuperman.libson.com um, but you've probably heard of him because he's been on your show, right? Oh yeah, he came on okay. and talked to me about the Reign of the Superman story. Yeah, I wasn't sure if you were on his or if he was on yours doing that. Was just... No, he came here. 
all these golden age podcasts confuse me um and then of course uh, i'm here doing the radio show and then my my baby is Superman in the Bronze Age, which I co-host with J. David Weeder, and that is at Superman in the Bronze Age. Blogspot.com and Superbronze1970.libsyn.com. And right now, as this episode comes out, we are hip deep in our coverage of the four-part Bronze Age tale, Man or Superman, and it's a really exciting story. I really like it, and please come listen to it because it's fun stuff. And hostess ads. <laughs> that was the storyline that Charlie mentioned uh, way back on his very first appearance on the show. As oh, being well, I was just one of a wee little lad. Favorite Superman story, so definitely go check it out. That would be episodes 41 through 43 of your show, correct? Nope. <laughs> That's episodes 43 through 45. 43 through 45. Okay, there you go. You're, you're close. Just, just for reference, for people who listen to this you know yeah down you know if you look yeah. if you look for it on itunes it's yeah 43 through 45 it's right there yeah. well charlie will be sticking around next episode for the 10th storyline from the radio show which is called horace morton's weather prediction and spoiler alert lois lane returns in that storyline uh, i hope that's a good thing it sounds like a dr seuss book though <laughs> horace hears a storm there you go <laughs> that works uh, but in the meantime, please stop by the website at greatcrypton.com where you'll find show notes and back episodes. The site will also give you links to the uh, Facebook and Twitter feeds for the show as well as the iTunes link and the RSS feed. Don't forget about the Superman homepage and the Superman Podcast Network. Updates can be found at both sites whenever there's a new episode out. And last but not least, please check out my other podcasts, Green Lantern's Light and Legends of the Batman. Batman's back, yay! To hear my friends and me go on about heroes of the non-Kryptonian variety. Oh, and Green Lantern's good too. I just am more excited right now because Batman's been gone for a little bit, so it's nice to have back. back. Well, you can't keep a good bat down. No, Batman's back. Back again. Batman's back. Tell a friend. (sighs) You're welcome. (laughs) They don't want to hear me sing anymore either. Is that payback for the Witch Doctor rap song? Exactly. Oh, I hope that's stuck in your head. Thanks. You're welcome. As always, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Charlie, thank you again. To the rest of you, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. the witch doctor song yes well i awesome. can find it yeah okay you, you'll you could probably get some use out of this out of it on this one i told the witch doctor i was in love with you i told the witch doctor i was in love with you 
And then the witch doctor, he told me what to do. He said that... I hope you really do get that stuck in your head because that's awesome. It only works with the two syllable names like Charlie's back or Michael's back or Batman's back. Yeah, Esmeralda's back. It doesn't work with that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Perry. Uh-oh. Perry's back. Back again. Perry oh. never left though. He's been Perry has been in just about every episode. That's right. Yeah. Except Jimmy. for that one where they introduced uh, his assistant. To, to, get, exactly. to get the story going. Perry's kind of their story catalyst, it seems like. You know, yeah, he'll, every either, time. he'll either assign Clark a story or it'll be some relative or friend of Perry that has trouble. Exactly. Yeah. Good point. That's that's it's like that's the one room in the Daily Planet where all the creative stuff happens. Yeah. For better or for worse. It's the hotbed of action. It's kinda of scary. Chaka, uka chaka, uka chaka, uka chaka. Sorry. <laughs>